Good morning, everybody. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, if you're not already there. Man, we're going to Revelation today. That's, you know it's going to be something special when you get to Revelation, right? Um, by the way, before we get into the sermon, I've got to say props, uh, thanks, apologies um, to our two uh, interns, uh, college interns, uh, Jared Daniels and Dave Warshaw, who started this week. Um, I, I had not planned this ahead of time, but we had a job to do. I won't go into detail because some of you might be eating breakfast, but we had a job to do was, that was about the most foul thing that I have done in a long, long time. Uh, and these two young men, they stepped up. They, they, not one ounce of complaining came from their lips. I complained the whole time. But they, man, they, they just kept, uh, they, they, they kept the faith. They did an incredible job, and I'm just I was very proud of them. I think it's going to be a really uh, great summer. Uh, and if you want to know the details, you can, you can ask them about it. Um, at any rate, Revelation chapter 4. I'd like to spend some time this morning going through Revelation 4 and 5. I think that um, the most important thing to remember about the book of Revelation is that the book of Revelation is prophecy, not prediction. In a very important way, Revelation does speak of the future. It is designed, it's a book, it's a vision designed to give us hope in the midst of uncertainty. It begins with very practical instructions given to various church groups throughout the Mediterranean and then kind of ends with this big picture view of the new heavens and the new earth, this cosmic reconciliation and the renewal of all creation with God at the center of it all, dwelling perfectly with his people. And that makes the book of Revelation a crucial book for us in the 21st century because in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of our pandemic, Revelation proclaims that ultimately this whole thing is actually headed somewhere. As we're told in the Nicene Creed, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I hope that it is a comfort for you today to hear that hope is not lost. I hope that it is a comfort for, for you today to know that God is still on the throne and that he is currently, currently about the business of reunifying his kingdom with our very existence. We are a church, right? We are a gathering. We're an assembly of believers in person or online or whatever. Because we are a gathering of, uh, we are a church because we believe that God has called us to the work of disciple making in the meantime. In the meantime, we're called to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to serve everything that Jesus has commanded because He's with us. Um, in the meantime, we're called to that. We are not called to simply sit back and wait for that day to come when God is going to put everything to rights. No, no. We have a job to do. 
if you are heartbroken over the painful realities of this world, I am here to tell you this morning that, that the most important thing that we can do collectively to respond to the dark brokenness of this world is to be the church of Jesus Christ. Not just for our sake, not because we're an inward-focused group of, of, of people, but because for the sake of the world, we're called to be that gathering. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, because all other paths lead to death. But instead, in Christ, we have eternal life, or the eternal kind of life. Our mission is to proclaim that message in word and in deed. We can only do that, though, with, with our hope fixed in Christ alone. So we're considering uh, continuing our, our series, as Jen mentioned, uh, A House Built on Rock today. Um, this has been a series on foundations. We, we talked first about the role of Scripture in the life of our community. So in regards to the Bible, we believe that the Bible tells a story and our personal stories find their redemption in the midst of God's grand narrative. Um, then we talked about the truth that, that we have been saved by God's gift of grace, not because of our own awesomeness, but because of God's loving faithfulness. And then last week, Jay Davies, Jay's great, he was here and he talked to us about faith Faith as a response to that grace. Faith isn't the thing that we do to earn God's love. It is the proper response to accepting God's grace and living out a life of gratitude, a life of trust by loving God and loving others. Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in no one else except Christ alone. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. So let me say right off the bat that that's a rather offensive statement. It's not one that the world wants to hear. See, we want to hear this message that says that we're all on separate journeys and that we should each be given the freedom to live out our own truth. The Christian message is highly offensive to that. The Christian message is going to declare that you were bought at a price and that your life is no longer your own. Now I'm here to tell you that on the other side of that death is abundant life. In fact, I believe Jesus is telling us that all other paths eventually lead nowhere. Eventually, they will all lead to death. And Jesus' desire is to save us from that death. Jesus says, he, the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that, that you might have life and have it abundantly. The, the thief, the, the, the liar, uh, the Satan, is going to try to convince you that, that the godless path is the one of true freedom. And the Jesus path is, is the one of religion and narrowness and, and judgmentalness. But, but I believe that Jesus' voice is, is beckoning us 
out of the darkness and into the light of his grace where true freedom is actually found. Scripture tells us that there, there, is, there is only one path that is worthy of our walk, and that's the path of Jesus Christ. At some point, Jesus is going to look you, me, any of us in the face. He's going to look us in the eye, and he's going to say, do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me with your life? So we turn now to the book of Revelation. Richard Hayes says that, that in Revelation, we have an elaborate imaginative vision for the church as an alternative community pitted in conflict with the powers that be. The apocalypse is a prophetic confrontation of all earthly pretensions of power, all symbolic orders other than that of the lamb that was slaughtered. See, what that means is, if Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar isn't. Perhaps we see that spelled out in, in no more vivid detail than we do in, in Revelation 4 and 5. Here we have this, this description of John's vision, John the Revelator, um, John, John's vision of, of God's divine throne room. Um, all other throne rooms, therefore, uh, such as the throne room of Caesar, or, or any other earthly empire before or after, all other throne rooms pale in comparison to what John is now seeing before his eyes, this vision that John is seeing. So, so join me in, in the book of Revelation chapter 4. The author is, is, is John, although probably not the same John that wrote the book of John, and most likely not the same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John was a very popular name. <laughs> anyway, Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Remember that doors go both ways, Right? It's not just that, that, that what John is about to see that he can go in. It, it, evidently, what's in there can also come out. And that's going to be a big part of the book of Revelation. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So it is a picture of the future. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold... A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 elders, and seated on the thrones were, were 24 elders. Um, or around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Most likely, 
This is a picture of, 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 the, of the perfected humanity, of the vision of what humanity was supposed to be, uh, given um, the, the, the Israel plus Gentile um, uh, kind of new Israel. Uh, the, the Israel, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel with the 12 disciples who are constituting God's people on earth. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were, were burning several torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as if it, it were a sea of glass, like, pris, like crystal. Before the throne of God, it's like, it's like the, the sea represented chaos, right? In, in scriptural language, the, the, the Old and New Testament, um, the sea represents chaos. So the sea of glass, it's as if that even in the midst of this chaos that is before the throne of God, it is contained by his sovereignty. And around the throne, on each side of the garment, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature is like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around, <coughs> and within and day and night they never cease to say. These, this, this, is, this is an image of creation, of the corners of creation. And what is all of creation saying? Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns. The, the responsibilities that they have, they cast them before the throne, that ultimately God is in charge here, ultimately God is king. And they say, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed. And they were created. And then... I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with, with seven seals. As Jen mentioned before, I love that she said this, this scroll image, it, it represents the purposes of God, the, 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 the fulfillment of God's purposes. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who's worthy to advance the ball down the field? Who's worthy to fulfill God's purposes? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep. I began to weep loudly, John says, because no one was found. Worthy to, no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Hey, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, the root of David, the, the one 
who is going to be David as he should have been. The one true king has conquered so that he can open the scroll. He can advance the purposes of God and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw then a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, all-powerful, seven eyes, all-knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, this perfected humanity fell then down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden uh, bowls of, uh, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sang, and they sang a new song to this one who can now advance the purposes of God. Worthy are you, the Lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. This is an all-inclusive picture of God reunifying everyone together. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, John says, and I, I heard around the throne... And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, <clears throat> saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might <clears throat> and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying, all of creation, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and worshiped picture that John the Revelator tells us of this vision that he had of the throne room of God. So two weeks ago, I spoke to you about a time in my life when I met the Lord. Realize that's a very Christian phrase, right? That people might not use in like normal conversation. What does it mean to meet God? I can't tell you that I had any visions or heard any voices that were from God. I didn't have a nice-to-meet-you moment with God, and I didn't have a Damascus Road experience where God, like, appeared to me in some miraculous sign. For me, meeting Jesus felt like being given a name. I've been, I had been given a name to the person who I had felt with me the whole time. I think that I had felt the presence of God's hand in my life uh, for years leading up to that point. But when I was 13 and I heard the gospel, I was given a name to describe. It was like the, like the keystone, like the, like the key to understanding everything else that had come in my life. Oh, 
Oh, the name of Jesus was what made it all come together. Jesus. Because when I say I met the Lord, what I mean is that I was introduced to the one through whom I was to understand God. Jesus is how we are to understand and relate to the holy, holy, holy God. That's why relationship, the word relationship, the relationship language, it is so crucial to, to the understanding of Christianity. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. The character and nature of the triune God is unfathomably large and complex. I was watching a, a documentary this week on the universe, and, and it is just so outrageous and ridiculous to think about just how big the universe is that you'll go cross-eyed cross if you think about it for too long. And that's just like the observable universe, just like what we can see from our rock floating here in our neighborhood of the galaxy. And of course, not only is the universe big, the universe is, is old, like unfathomably old. And humanity has really only come into the story like recently. That, this huge picture of the cosmos, that is the creation. So when we speak of the creator, we're talking about the one from whom all of that flows. The one who holds all of that together. So, so what is it, how could it possibly, how can, we, how can I possibly fathom the idea of what it looks like to meet God, to meet him? How could we possibly imagine that a God that big wants anything to do with me? You know, the Gospel of John and how it begins, <laughs> different John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And here's the thing, this word, this logos, this, this God became flesh and lived among us. As, and we have seen his glory, the, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So, according to John... This powerfully immense and immensely powerful God creates all things, and then at one point in the fullness of time, at one point in cosmic history, chooses to become flesh, to become a man, to become human, and live, to dwell, to, to tabernacle with his people. And he brings with them grace and truth. At one point early in the story, Jesus is seen by the one known as John the Baptist. A lot of Johns in this story today. And, the John, and this John the Baptist, he looks up at Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Well, that, that reminds us of 
of Revelation, of course. It's crazy to think that this immensely powerful God, the one who crafted the cosmos, put on flesh for the purpose of taking my sins away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if that wasn't crazy enough, the way, the way that he takes away the sins of the world is by offering himself as a lamb to be slain, offering himself as the sacrificial lamb. That, my friends, as C.S. Lewis would say, that speaks of a deeper magic from before the dawn of time. So, a few takeaways in closing. First of all, Jesus is how we understand this immensely powerful triune God. The immensity of the universe, the daunting nature of time itself, the character and nature of our triune God, and also the things of this life which drive us to our knees in lament, war, and violence, and injustice, and hate. Jesus sees all of that, and he just says, look at me. Have a relationship with me. I know you care about that. Have a relationship with me. You will have a part to play in the repairing of the damage. But if you really care about the brokenness of this world, I need you to first and foremost keep your eyes fixed on me. Poverty. Racial injustice, sexism, oppression, crime, hunger. If your heart breaks over any and all of those things, then that means that you are catching a glimpse of how God's heart breaks over those things. And if we really care about injustice, we will find no better path of righteousness than the path of Jesus Christ. Of course, the world is complex. There's no way around that. You and I don't need to understand all of it because this was never our story to begin with. It was always his. And he is telling us, he's begging us to follow his path. Not not towards religion, but towards true life. What does it look like to advance, to to open the scroll? What does it look like to, to advance the cause of God, to be in step with God's purposes? It looks like having a relationship with Jesus, following his new way to be human. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's all spelled out right there. It's a path marked by grace and truth and forgiveness and abundant life, a path marked by sacrificial love. And that leads to the second takeaway. The first takeaway is Jesus is how we understand. Jesus is how we understand the immensely powerful triune God. But the second point is that Jesus' mission was to be the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You see, when this immensely powerful God who in himself is larger than space and time, put on flesh in order to relate to his creation, he did so because he saw just how deadly human rebellion had had become. The bill, the bill comes due for that sort of rebellion. So Jesus Christ stepped onto the pages of history which he himself had authored and offered himself as the lamb to be slaughtered. 
He lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death in order that you and I might be washed clean of his sacrifice, uh, washed clean by his sacrifice. You see, the Jesus path, path must go through the tunnel of death. I said all paths lead to death. There's no way around that. Thing is, the Jesus path is a little different. Actually, the Jesus path is significantly different. Because it is the only path with a way out the other side of the death tunnel. For on the cross, in death, Jesus declared victory over death itself and redefined a new creation life in his resurrection on the third day. Because in that moment, through his resurrection, a new creation had begun. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and broken. I'll give you rest. I'll give you life. I'll give you an abundant life. That's why I came. Thing is, it's even better than that. So, point number one, Jesus is how we understand God. Point number two, Jesus' mission was to be the sacrificial lamb who took away the sins of the world. But point number three, Jesus, as we saw in Revelation, Jesus, the lamb who was slaughtered, is worthy of your praise. See, see, this is an odd thing about the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament... Writers, they weren't just amazed that the God of the universe had put on flesh and died to take away the sins of the world. If that wasn't enough, the thing that really got the New Testament writers going was the idea that it was because of his sacrifice that he is worthy of praise. That is an upside down way of looking at power. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Real quick, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We can't talk about this without going to this incredible poem that Apostle Paul writes, which spells this all out in such awesome detail. If you're ever going to memorize something, it should be Philippians 2. I might say a different passage another week, but anyway, Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, you the little speck of the universe that that is loved by the Creator, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to, to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, Paul says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or exploited, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man 
And being found in human form, then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a Roman cross. Therefore, therefore, right? God humbled himself in Jesus to the point of death, obedient to the point of death to take away the sins of the world. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is because of the cross that Jesus is king. You want to know what it looks like when God is in charge? You want to know what it looks like when God is in power? It looks like the cross. It looks like humility and humbleness and sacrificial love. So if you consider yourself today under the lordship of Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a Jesus follower, a Christ follower, then that means that the path that you have been called to is sacrificial love, the path of sacrificial love, because worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus says those who find their life, meaning those who go their own path or go their own way, will lose it. Ultimately, it's going to lead to death. But those who lose their life, those who die to self, they're going to find it for my sake. Uh, lose their life for my sake, Jesus says, and they will find it. So my question in closing for you today is simple. Are you interested in pursuing the truly abundant life? If so, are you willing to get off the paths that lead nowhere and get on to Jesus' path? Maybe for too long you've been on the path of wealth accumulation or sexual conquest, knowledge hoarding, career advancement, or, or maybe it's just all about the next toy. The truth is that nobody, nobody cares more about your money, your finances, your sex life, your joy, your education, your career, your purpose, your life's work. Nobody cares about that more than Jesus. So if Jesus, if you care about any of that, Jesus says, I know those things matter to you. Get on my path and I'm going to show you how to live those life, live those things with abundant life and live out the things that you care most about through the lens of the incarnate God. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this text. I'm so grateful for the per, um, that, that this text was preserved, that we have this vision as, as, as um, bizarre at times, as strange as, as this book of Revelation is. I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful that we've been given this mysterious vision of what the future will be. Not because we're trying to predict the future, right? Not because we're trying to name dates and times and when the rapture is going to happen or, or things like that. No, no, the, all that's you. That's that's not us. But, but what you've given us in, in this text is a picture of your sovereignty. A, a picture of that sea of glass. That the chaos that makes our heart cry. 
is contained by your sovereignty. There is nothing outside of your sight. There is nothing outside the will of your power. You, you encompass all things. You have control. You hold the universe all together. And in that, you will even redeem the stories of everyone who is listening to my voice right now. Scripture begs us to, 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 to enter our stories into the grand narratives of Scripture, this creation to new creation, grand narrative, and give our own lives up under the sovereignty and the lordship of King Jesus, who is the only path worth following. In Him we find path. In Him, in, in him we find purpose. In Him we find promise. In Him we find redemption and grace truth. Father, I just pray for everyone who's hearing my voice right now. Everybody who, who, is, who is maybe having a little bit of, of internal struggle right now, who's thinking about what does this mean for my life? Father, I just ask that you would lay your hand on them right now and have a conversation, a convicting conversation with them, but a conversation that clearly communicates how much you love them how much you will love them so much that you will go to the cross and die for them in humility. And Father, I just pray that they will hear that truth and respond, respond to that sort of grace with faith. That they will give their life over to you and say, my life is not my own. I have accepted Christ as my, as my Savior. Father, I pray for everyone here. Christ's name. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Have a great day.